Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. As we look at Isaiah 9, that phrase comes from unto us, a child is born. And today we're looking at the Prince of Peace. There's a phrase in that text that says, he's the Prince of Peace. And it brings up a good question for us. How do you personally get peace? What do you do to get some peace? Life is so full of stress and anxiety and chaos. Sometimes to get some peace, I feel like I've got to get rid of stuff, right? I got to get rid of the chaos. I got to get rid of the anxiety. I got to get rid of the stress. And I got to get something. I got to get get some calm. I got to get alone time. I got to get that peaceful, easy feeling in my soul. Uh, Other times, I think we wrestle with never feeling at peace in our spirit, and so we get busy so we don't have to wrestle with the fact that we never feel at peace. Other times, we get medicated with drugs and alcohol so that we don't have to wrestle with the fact that we don't feel at peace. And there's moments in our lives over and over again where we don't feel at peace, but I think in general, all of us don't just want moments of peace. We want a life full of peace. We want a greater peace. We want the peace of being fulfilled. We want the peace of having a happy life. Where do you look to get that kind of peace? What would you do to get that fullness of peace? I saw a crazy story on the news this past week about some stowaways on a boat that went from Nigeria to the Canary Islands. Did you see this? Three men got on the rudder of this massive cargo ship. And they did not do this because they needed a little quiet time, right? Uh, They sat over the propeller of that ship for 11 days, 2,000 miles to go from Lagos, Nigeria, all the way to the Canary Islands because they thought something better awaited them. Now, I I don't even, I want to know the story. I mean, how did they not fall asleep? How did they deal with having to go to the bathroom and being hungry, an incredibly dangerous journey that they did because they were seeking peace. Not just something in their soul, but a totally better life, right? A totally better life. And it's interesting as we talk about getting peace, that's really how the Bible starts off with talking about peace. It's not really an easy feeling inside. The Bible talks about peace through the word Shalom. And we use shalom as a greeting, but the word that comes from peace, that word shalom means complete and total harmony. Everything works the way it's supposed to. There is complete human flourishing. Now, even as I say that, my heart goes, I want that. And and these guys who got on the rudder of this boat and traveled 2,000 miles, they wanted that. And, and you want that as well. You want life to work as it should. You, you want a fullness. You want a freedom. You want a wholeness. You don't want just the absence of conflict. You want shalom. You want to get it. You want to get that peace. But it's funny at Advent, we're reminded that though our heart longs to get peace, 
though we spend so much of our time pursuing peace, Advent is a time we're reminded that we're given peace. It's not something that we pursue in order to get. Rather, the peace of God that comes at Christmas time is a peace that comes to us. It's a peace that pursues us. Rather than us spending our lives trying to get it, it's a peace that is given freely to us. If you're here and you're you're wrestling with Christianity, you're not yet a Christian, one of the things that you need to understand about the Christian faith is it's not getting a little religion to find peace. That's not what Christianity is about at all. Rather, Christianity is about peace getting you. It's about peace seeking after you. It's about peace finding you. It's about peace being given to broken humanity. And that peace comes in the form of a person whose name is the Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. That's what Isaiah 9 says. It calls this child that will be born, this prophecy that was uttered hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Say it with me, Prince of Peace. And if you notice all the verbs there, the child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. Not that we're pursuing him, but rather he's coming to us. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Of peace. Now, when we think about peace, we tend to think about this internal feeling. But notice, that's not how the text starts off. The text doesn't start off by talking about a personal peace. It starts off by talking about political turmoil. You'll remember that from last week. We, we saw in the text blood and boots and battle and burning all happening in the background of this child coming. And, and so when we think about the word prince, It's political. It's not just sentimental. This person is a political figure who is a prince of peace. In the very next verse, it says that his kingdom will know no end. Now, I find that interesting. In your devotions that you'll read this week, in your prayer email, you'll read one devotional from a woman named Carolyn Arends. And she quotes a study that was done on 3,400 years of human history, three and a half millennia. And the study says that out of three and a half millennia, 3,500 years, there are only 268 of those years where there is no war. Now think about that. That means that 92% of human history is marked by conflict. We got 8% right out of recorded history. 8% where we're not fighting and killing each other. That's the best we can do as the human race, 8%. Yet when the Prince of Peace comes, he brings not just a peace for a little while, not just a peace for a year, but rather a peace that dominates everything. The same figures talked about earlier in Isaiah. In Isaiah 2.4, it says this, he will settle disputes among the nations 
and provide arbitration for many peoples. In other words, some of the, the peace he brings is because he's just and he's fair and he's able to sort through complicated things like oppression and injustice and cheating and wrongdoing. But then in response to the presence of this Prince of Peace, look how the people of the nations respond. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. Because the Prince of Peace is present, people feel the freedom to put down their weapons. Now, when I first got involved in West Africa, I started doing a lot of reading on West Africa, and I read this one book, and the book said, the most peaceful countries in West Africa are the ones where there's a dictator who has total power. In other words, the reason that there's peace is because everyone is super afraid of what the dictator will do to him. And so the peace that's happened is really just an absence of conflict out of fear. But what we see, this vision is something very different. It's where there's someone who embodies peace on such a deep level that people feel the freedom to put down their swords. I don't feel I need that anymore. They have the freedom to, to take those spears and those weapons and actually put them down and turn them into gardening tools that they and their enemies can use together to build a new world under the Prince of Peace. Uh, see, a dictator beats people into submission, but when people encounter Jesus, the Prince of Peace, they beat their weapons into tools of peace. It makes us wonder what happens when Jesus' peace gets us. I mean, the, the truth is we all have people, at least that we don't like, probably have enemies. We might have groups of people that we consider our political rivals on some level, but what happens when we encounter Jesus, the pre Prince of Peace, what happens to our weapons? What happens to our list of grievances? The document of everything wrong that the other side or the other person has done, well, under Jesus, the Prince of Peace, it becomes an opportunity. That list of grievances becomes an opportunity for forgiveness, becomes an opportunity to build relationship under his peace. When Paul picks up this theme of Jesus being the peace in the New Testament, that's exactly where he takes it. In Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, it says, for Jesus, our, Jesus himself is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulation so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in what? Peace. Next slide. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access 
in one spirit to the Father. Now, if we're honest, when we think about peace, we think about having peace by being separated from our enemies. We think about peace by getting to be away from those people. But here it's saying that through Jesus Christ, peace comes as we're with those people before God together. See, our relationship with God is a relationship of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on our behalf and the hostility that God had against us for our sin was then wiped clean. But you don't just come to God by yourself. We come to God together through Jesus Christ. And as the peace of God comes to you through Jesus, it gets you. In fact, it totally transforms you. You become a new type of human, a type of human that the world doesn't understand. And there's a new way to flourish as a human being because black and white are now together before God. Man and woman are now together before God. Enemies now become friends and even family through Jesus Christ before God. Jesus came and preached peace through his blood. That is to say, everything that you have needed to have peace with God, Jesus has done for you. All your sins, past, present, and future. If your faith is in him, they are wiped clean and forgiven. But then that blood that reconciles us to God also draws us together in one family. It's not that we haven't done real things to each other to harm one another. It's just now that we have a perspective that our greatest sin has been against God himself and we have peace with him through Jesus. And therefore, how can I hold your sins against you if God doesn't hold my sins against me? Jesus came and brought us together. And we have a peace with God and a peace with each other but that peace can't help but get into all of us. In other words, the peace is personal. It's something that you experience in your life and in your heart. It's something that gets you. And it's not the absence of trouble. It's not even the changing of your circumstances that brings peace. Rather, it's a, well, Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, now when he says it's, it transcends all understanding, it means it's kind of hard to explain. It's not exactly logical because your life could be falling apart and yet you have an inner peace because you know God is in control. It transcends all understanding, but not only that, it guards you. It guards your heart and your mind. That, that word guard is like soldier language. Picture someone standing at the gate of a city, guarding it, protecting it. In other words, the peace that God gives us is being guarded in your heart by God himself. It's a peace that really gets you and guards you. I think of several people in our church. I know that there's several people who have been wrestling with health conditions, including cancer. 
and the news that they've gotten along the journey has been up and it has been down. And they're not faking it by trying to be super Christians. It's been really hard. And at the same time, if you talk to some of these people, they say, I don't like this, but God is in control. God is in control, and God knows what's best for me. And I am praying for healing, but I trust God. Do you see what they're saying doesn't really make sense? Uh, What would make more sense is complete and utter panic. But not for the one who is guarded by the peace of God. Now, now sometimes in our lives, we get peaceful circumstances, but I'll be honest with you, as soon as you get a circumstance that's more peaceful, something that doesn't bring peace is waiting right around the corner. And I don't say that to scare you, I just say that to reorient you, that your peace will come not from getting your life to line up the way you want it, rather, it will come from lining your heart up to God and the peace that he provides as the king. But as we talk about that peace that we get through God, it's not, it's not just some ambiguous God. It's the God who sent Jesus Christ. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, at Christmas, we're reminded that Jesus left the peace of heaven and entered into the turmoil of this world so that he could die for you. That's the God we're talking about. And when you know him, he pursues you with his peace because he is the prince of peace. So even if you go through things that are terrible or awful or dark or evil, there is the real possibility that you can walk through those situations with peace. That possibility really exists. Some of you saw what I posted on Instagram and Facebook Um, over the weekend, Uh, December 2nd, 1969, is an anniversary for my father. My father was drafted into Vietnam, served with the 1st Cavalry Division in the Army. And after he'd been in country about six months, him and 90 other men walked into an ambush on the Cambodian-Vietnam border. And they walked into that ambush, and it was not pretty. Out of those 90 men, about 30 of them, there were about 30 casualties, meaning 30 of them were injured or killed in that particular battle. And it was awful. Um, as my dad shares it with me, we get, to, we get to try and talk about it every December 2nd and just hear his perspective, hear his stories, hear, hear the stories of heroism, hear the stories of fear. My dad will be honest with you and he'll say, it's the scaredest I've ever been. It's the scaredest I've ever been. It was so loud during that battle. It was so dark. I didn't know the story, but he told me the other day that uh, when the night had set in, they were to dig down deep and dig their own foxholes so they could hide during the night because you just can't see anything. And so he took his helmet off and he just started digging and digging. And he didn't really keep track of how much he was digging. And then when he finally figured out how deep he was, he had dug so deep that the top of his hole was way, way up here. He's laughing now because there's, there's some humor in war. But then he had to go back and, and get some dirt and pour it back into the hole so he could stand up and actually see out. 
But, but just the anxiety, the adrenaline, the fear that was with him in that moment. But there's one particular moment that's just beautiful. Dad and another guy were carrying out a guy named Jesse Corneliusson. And Jesse had taken shrapnel in his legs, so he couldn't walk. Dad was carrying his legs, and someone else was carrying his shoulders. And Jesse was just afraid that he was going to die. And with the voice that he had, he asked my dad, Dan, is Jesus here? Now, there's a lot of reasons that my dad could have said no. In that situation, there's a lot of reasons that I could have said no. And there's a lot of reasons that you could have said no. But there was something in the moment that did not permit my dad to say no. In the midst of the moment, in the midst of the death, in the midst of the ambush, the darkness, the trap, the injuries, the casualties, when he was asked, is Jesus here? My father felt the peace to answer, yes. Yes. It's dark, but Jesus is now, I've had the privilege of meeting Jesse. He made it out alive, and I've had the privilege of meeting many other men from that moment. But what about you in the midst of your darkness? If someone were to ask you when your kids aren't doing what you want them to do, when you lose your job, when someone is treating you with evil and maliciousness, when you feel so alone, when you're just looking for that life partner and you can't seem to find them, when the, the bills keep piling up, how do you answer that question? Do you need your circumstances to change or in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of what feels like hopelessness, in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the adrenaline, whatever you're going through, can you say, yes, Jesus is here. Because the reality is, he is. And though your circumstances might not always change, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is always with you in your circumstances. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And that is what we need to remember now at Advent, that the, the peace that Jesus brings is not a peace that we spend our lives trying to get, but rather a peace that comes to us, that is given to us. It's a peace that gets us, even in the most hard times. So as we go through this Advent, let's remember the Prince of Peace. When the angel showed up to the shepherds, the night that Jesus was born in Luke 2, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Just after this event, Jesus is brought to the temple and he meets this, as a baby, he meets this really old man named Simeon. And Simeon's been waiting for the salvation of God. And in Luke 2, chapter 29, or verse, 20, uh, verse 29, this is what Simeon says. He says, now that he's seen Jesus, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you have promised for my eyes have seen your salvation. 
In other words, Simeon is now okay with dying because he's seen the Prince of Peace. But the reality is that the peace of Jesus comes to us because he experienced the opposite of peace. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us, he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace or the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. The peace of God comes to us, not because we're good people, not because we've done it right, but rather because Jesus has taken on the punishment that we deserve and given us his peace. That's what this meal is all about. We call it the Lord's Supper, but it's a meal that reminds us that the peace of God is coming to you. It's something that we take and we touch and we eat and we take as our own, reminded that on the night Jesus was betrayed, his body was broken for you, that you might have peace with God. And in the same way, Jesus distributed the cup and he said, take and drink from this cup for it is for the forgiveness of your sins. Notice that this meal is given to us to remind us of the peace that we're given through the Prince of Peace. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, be reminded of the peace you have through him. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.